Welcome to Tell Me More. My name is Luke Stair. I'm joined today with Dr. Wiles, and we have a conversation about the Gospel of Luke and Mary and how we think about Mary, the history of how some people have come to think what they think about Mary, but then also how we live lives modeled after her, rooted in the obedience of God. So we hope you enjoy this conversation. Well, welcome to Tell Me More. Dr. Wiles and I have already been talking. Uh, I'm Luke Stair once again. Um, And we actually have, you've stepped in to a conversation we've been having about Catholic theology. Most of us already on the the floor, the, what do they call it? The the, the cutting room floor. The cutting room floor. (laughs) We may have to backtrack some. Um, But it was a fun conversation. So we preached about you preached about, and the rest of us received the word about Mary and Joseph mm-hmm. on Sunday. Mm-hmm. And so I love Luke, as we both have talked about. It's mm-hmm. a great gospel. A great name, don't you think? I, you know, I think there is just something really significant and special about the name Luke. I do, too. Um, I'm a big fan. Uh, <laughs> oh, and guess what? Today... By the way, it's Katie Reed Hodges' birthday it is. on this Monday. I don't know when people are going to listen to this, but on this Monday. The day that we are recording. That's right. So, so shout Katie, out to Katie. I'm sure you're listening. <laughs> Happy birthday. Uh, we eagerly, she has nothing else to do. Nothing. No, no. No. Just these three babies. Yes. There's that. <laughs> um, yes, yes. Back to Mary back and to Joseph Mary. and, yes, Sunday. Sunday. Mm-hmm. So it's a great story. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. And in some ways, it's a it's a repeat of the story that we read through last week right. with Zechariah and Elizabeth. Mm-hmm. You have another angel. It's Gabriel. He comes, tells Mary, you're going to have a baby. Mm-hmm. You are full of the Lord's favor, mm-hmm. or if you're Jerome, who translated the Catholic Bible, as we talked about, full of grace. Right. We can talk about why that phrase is important later. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But Mary responds in obedience. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think it's a beautiful thing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. A little question at first. Yeah. As we were talking earlier today, just how can this be, you know? And I've never been with a man. Right. And and I think that I think that distinguishes Mary from Zechariah, you know. Um for those of you that are listening, Luke and I were talking about this before we started the podcast. You know, Zechariah says, How can this be? You know, I'm an old man. My wife is an old woman. <laughs> how are we gonna have children? And so the angel says, Well, I'll just let you be silent for a while. Well, that was kind of a, a sign, if you will, a little bit of a judgment sign. <clears throat> Mary poses a very similar question, but she doesn't get that. But I, but I think it's because this is a absolutely unprecedented. I mean, for a, a virgin to have a baby, this just an unparalleled in all history. Whereas old ladies in the Bible right. have had babies it, before, it's happened. And this one here, though, is is um, well, it's, it is unbelievable, impossible. You know, from from our perspective, yes. And uh, who would argue with Mary on that? You know, <laughs> and uh, so, but to get this message from Gabriel that she had been chosen by God, it's just a great. It's a great story, even from a human perspective. It's just a great story. But from that cosmic drama, you know, this is the this is one of those high moments for us. You know, so well, I think there's a reason we keep telling this story, and it's because it just speaks, mm-hmm. and it continues to speak. 
Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and I mean, there was something last night at our Christmas program about seeing the children of our church mm-hmm. dressed up like Mary and Joseph mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and livestock. That's right. <laughs> Sheep and cows and, <laughs> and plenty of children noise. Yeah, I think it is. I think there's a human dynamic. You know, it's it again, it's this um as we've been talking for the last couple of weeks, and we've talked about this obviously through the years since I've been here, but this whole idea of this sovereign will of God, this this um this meta narrative that is in the heart and mind of God. And um and you get glimpses, you know, like for example, we later we will read where, you know, the shepherds there in the shepherd's field get this message and an angel appears, all of a sudden there's a multitude, the heavenly host. It's like there's, it's, it's, it's almost like God peeled back, you know, the curtain a little bit to just see the cosmic proportion of this story. <laughs> this is not just um, something that Mary and Joseph are going to participate in with a handful of shepherds. This is this is God's great plan and, and this heavenly host is with him watching all this play out. So there's that mystery of that intersection of that divine and the human, which always fascinates me as I, as I study the scripture. And um, and yet the human dynamic of this story to me is very endearing. You know, this little couple, you know, this, uh, uh, I, we can't say random because we know that's not true, but you know what I mean? This, this unknown couple in Nazareth of all places, they're not in Jerusalem. They're not even in Bethlehem, you know, the city of David. They're in the northern part of Israel. And think about it too, Luke. It's it's the area that was most um, overrun by Gentiles. You know what I mean? Unless you mm-hmm. went eastward, if you go north in Israel, you've got this whole Decapolis. You got all these Greek people, Gentiles who live all around Nazareth. And so, a man like Joseph, his dad, I'm sure, had to travel over there to sell his wares. In other words, had to speak Greek, had to understand Greek culture, and yet he's a Jew and. So can anything good come from Nazareth, you know, I mean, of, of all places, the most uh, places tainted, if you will, you know, by outsiders. And and yet here we are, and that's where this all happens. Uh, it's, it's remarkable to me. In this place with a woman who is favored by God, a young woman, 14 yeah. or 15, and her husband who his lineage includes all the heavy hitters of the <laughs> yes, Old Testament. That's right, yeah. He's and a, Luke traces the right it all line. the way back to Adam. Right. And so I think, yeah. too, that this story being this culmination of what is ultimately a family story. Mm -hmm. And if you trace back that genealogy and read those stories, I mean, you have Abraham. Mm -hmm. Luke takes it all the way back to Adam, to God. Right. Um, Mm -hmm. You have Abraham and you have Ruth and Boaz and Jesse and David and Zerubbabel. It's amazing to me. And I think the, I'm grateful that Luke does that because I think it, it connects to the cosmic (laughs) story. You know, that it's, and plus I think probably helps you realize Luke, I think Luke probably had Gentiles in mind, you know, that this is not just Abraham's story, even though it is. This is our story. The if, human if, story. If you're a human being, <laughs> this is your story. And uh, I just think that's one of the reasons it's so endearing, you know, and and certainly it has seeds of Christology and theology just woven all through it as Luke's telling the story. You know, if you're if you're a theologian and you've studied theology and you're paying attention, you just recognize, oh, okay, so <laughs> here's here's a seed planted. Here's a Christological view of 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 Jesus and you know, even the way Mary is addressed, you know, by the by the angel and who Jesus is, son of the most high, 
you know, is going to reign on the, the throne of David. I mean, there's all this um, imagery that's so rooted in, in how God's already revealed himself, you know. So it's a yeah, it's jam It's a beautiful, simple story, and then and it's also it's layered with rich. complexity. <laughs> it is such a rich story. Yeah, and I mean, you get to the Magnificat, which, if you came out of a high church tradition, mm-hmm. so Anglican or Catholic, this is something you'd have recited in church mm-hmm. since mm-hmm. you were a baby. That's right. Um, mm-hmm. We mostly just read it around Christmas. Right. But right. I heard it sung yesterday. We did beautifully. Was, oh my goodness. Really, really beautiful. We have some amazing musicians. <laughs> wow, but uh, but yeah, you're right, and and it's just, I think the thing for us is as Baptists, um, I think we have we've almost had kind of a Mary phobia. You know, we're we're reluctant to even hardly talk about Mary. You know, just and and yet this is the mother of Jesus. I mean, she's the mother of our Lord. She's the most influential woman that is in this whole story, you know, and in Jesus' life. You know, she's the she's the one that rushes up to him at the wedding at Cana, you know, and says, okay, this family, you know, is about to be embarrassed here, and we're not going to let that happen, right? We're, we're not going to, are we? <laughs> and uh, so and this woman has such a unique relationship, and so even at his death, he's still acknowledging her and how valuable she is, you know, to tell John, Behold your mother, you know, take care of my mom. I mean, so to read her story and to try to contemplate who Mary was and what must have been happening with her and and through her, I think is um it's it it's worth our attention and our reflection. We can do it without venerating her. Mm. <laughs> you know, we can respect her and give her honor, which I believe she deserves. Um I mean, you think about Particularly in those days, I mean, any girl to give birth to Messiah, what a what a what a what a high honor, <laughs> you know? Yes. So, sure. And like I said, I think that we're so nervous that you're going to allow Mariology to bleed over into your theology. And so, what I've tried to do in my own personal journey is 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 spend some time with Mary and just let Mary speak. And she speaks powerfully through her words and her actions, particularly in this, what we just read Sunday. Right. You know, so, yeah, it's it's powerful to me. I mean, she obeys God mm-hmm. and then later on delivers one of the most powerful oh, yeah. songs mm-hmm. that has reverberated through the church's worship life. Mm-hmm. And I think for the Gospel of Luke mm-hmm. is really one of those key, like, here is the thesis, here's how Luke the gospel of Luke is going to shake out. It's mm-hmm. going to be, we're going to turn things upside down. Luke is going to point how these things happen through Jesus. Mm-hmm. Mary isn't just singing a song. Mm-hmm. Right. She is prophesying right. about who her son will be. Mm-hmm. And then the gospel of Luke takes care to show how Jesus does these things. Mm-hmm. Um, That's powerful, really. And, and you know, you, you, Cindy and I were talking, my wife and I were talking the other day about What's your favorite Christmas song? And we were kind of laughing about the fact that, well, you, surely you start with Zechariah and Mary. <laughs> I mean, those, those are two great Christmas songs. <laughs> Sometimes the tune can be a little hard. <laughs> yeah, perhaps. <laughs> but they're just power. both of them powerful. And uh, certainly Mary's, the revelation that Mary receives here and how she expresses her praise to God in such humility 
is really um, it's inspiring to me. And I and I think I, I, for me, I I think that Luke. I think we've talked about this before, but I I, th- I think Luke spent time with Mary. I think he interviewed Mary and and heard these very personal stories from Mary. And um, and I think Luke took that seriously. You know, this is the mother of Jesus. And so she's worthy of, you know, this material is not found in the other Gospels. No. You, know, you think about it. I mean, the the whole trip to Jerusalem and encountering Simeon and then taking Jesus to the temple when he's a, um, you know, 12-year-old boy. I mean, again, th- this sounds like eyewitness material. You know, so a lot of scholars think when Paul was in Caesarea, you know, in prison, that this is when Luke had a chance to travel around and interview and learn and gather resources. And um, you have to think Mary would be at the top of that list. Yeah, wouldn't you think so? And uh, uh, I would. And and it sounds to me like this is eyewitness material. I think probably one of my I mentioned this in our deacons a banquet last night when when Luke says and Mary treasured all this up in her heart. Well, that sounds like something Mary would have said, you know, I was just trying to take all this in, you know, my whole life's in front of me. And now we've got shepherds coming here and praising our son, <laughs> you know, and angels, angels just keep popping up, <laughs> yeah, appearing. What is going on here? What is all this? And then even when they get to the temple with Jesus and Simeon says, you know, I can, you can, you can go ahead and take me now because I've waited for the salvation of Israel and here it is right in front of me. And so it's, it's, it's a, yeah, it's powerful to me. I love this story. And uh, so <clears throat> obviously we're spending a whole lot of time on page one. It's <laughs> a great, we, we, it's we, a great, we have a hard time getting time. out of Luke one, aren't we? But, uh, but it's okay. It's good. It's really good. Well, I wondered if we could maybe spend some time talking about why we were Mary phobic, mm-hmm. uh, kind of clue back into that conversation we were having before mm-hmm. we started recording. Yeah. Um, not that we, I think, need to agree with our Catholic brothers and right. sisters, but understand where they're coming from. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that, um, you know, with with Mary, <clears throat> of course, I think also it's a little difficult for us to imagine the incredible Im- Influence of paganism in the ancient world, you know, it was and, everywhere. Yeah, so the whole goddess uh, worship cults that existed throughout the Roman Empire, the goddess Roma, um, Aphrodite, Diana, all, all these um, goddesses that that helped shape the the ethos of of that era. That's really hard for us to even comprehend. What does that even mean? Who cares? Why do you need a female deity? <laughs> you know, so I think all of that is very foreign to us. That's uh, one of the reasons I love to go to Rome, because when you walk through Rome, you can point out, now here's where one of the temples to Roma was. You know, here's another temple that was, you know, dedicated to these multiple expressions of deities, female deities, and the virgins. And there was all this infatuation with, with all that. So it at least helps you understand the context and the climate of that day. Um, and so then, obviously, Christianity offers a God who is Father, Son, and Spirit. And you know, he's one God, triune in nature, but just but one God. And that was quite a shock to this whole panoply of gods and goddesses. Mm-hmm. You know, So first of all, you have that. I think we have to just keep that in the back of our minds. Um, but then also, you know, the, the, when you're think when you're making your way through the first three or 400 years of Christian history, 
we're grappling with theology, and it's deep theological questions, you know, the very nature of God, the nature of Christ, the nature of the relationship between God and Christ, and how, how does all that play out, you know? Yeah, I mean, I don't and, think they settled on a settled doctrine of the Holy Spirit until 200. Yeah, it was really challenging, and, and you had some of the brightest minds that the church has ever known, if you think about it. You know, you, you look at people like Augustine or... Um, Athanasius or even even Leo in Rome. These were, I mean, you get all the way to 600 Gregory in Rome. These were powerful theologians. These were these were men of God who didn't. This wasn't just a fanciful um, interest to them. You know, this was this was the explanation of ultimate reality. You know, so you've got the church trying to sort through how to give expression to these deep truths. And so at some point, the question arises, well, what about Mary? Well, how do we refer to Mary? What do you say about Mary? And, um, and so this Greek term is coined, this theotokos, that she's the mother of God. And that, that became somewhat controversial, a little bit of a, of, of a lightning rod term. But the, but the original idea was that to say that she wasn't just the mother of Jesus— <laughs> But that she carried God in her womb. Right. And so I'm actually okay with that. It, it, it sounds off-putting to our ears in the modern era to say, mother of God. What do you mean, mother of God? Well, and the reason they <laughs> landed on that is, you know, there's some heresies about Christ, right. one of them being adoptionism, that Jesus wasn't born divine, but God adopted him at right. later in life. It's a heresy. Right. We don't believe it. Right. But to say that Jesus was always God, that means Jesus was God when he was conceived. In the womb, that's right. Which means Mary <laughs> right. carried God in her womb. Right. And that's what they meant. Right. And I think that in its most innocent use, I think we can actually say that because you're right. The whole idea, even, even you know, when, when in this revelation from the angel, he doesn't say that Jesus will become great. He says Jesus will be great. He is great. So you're right. This whole adoptionist view that somehow God will eventually accept him. Well, that was heresy, and it had to be ruled out. And then the idea of the begottenness of of the Son of God and God from God, light from light. How does that work? However, over time, you know the the understanding and the nature of the church with respect to God's revelation of Himself. That's really where the where the challenge comes. And so, eventually, the 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 Western Catholic view will be that the church is actually the repository of truth and grace. And so that puts the scripture underneath it. So, well, then the one person on planet Earth who represents that authority in that tradition would be the pastor of the church. And so that's that's the, the Pope in Rome. The Pope. And so, well, think about how much authority that places in the church, first of all, and then second, in the papacy, you know? And so... That's what one of the challenges we have as Protestants today, and particularly as Baptists, because we look at some of these Roman Catholic teachings and we go, okay, I'm, I'm looking in my Bible, and I just can't find any evidence in my Bible. And to us, that settles it. Okay, boom, boom, we're done. But your Roman Catholic <laughs> scholar friend is saying, but who do you think put that Bible together? That's right. <laughs> and so the whole idea that the church is more authoritative, the church is the one that dispenses the grace of God. The church has been in tr- the church is the body of Christ on earth, and so well, then you put the scripture under it, and then now the the idea that the church can now pronounce truth and it be just as authoritative as what's been revealed in the scripture. So the canon law, of the church, and the scripture are on equal footing for the Roman Catholic. Well, well, there you go. So 
as the church makes decisions about what really is true and how tradition becomes authoritative, well, then that's how you get to some of these doctrines that, that are very foreign to our ears. So, Well, and there's a, there's a translation issue at play here, too. And I think sometimes sure. we forget how significant Bible translation can mm-hmm, be mm-hmm. and how easily mm-hmm. our assumptions can shift it. Mm-hmm. So one example I remember reading about is we often talk about Jesus as a carpenter, mm-hmm. and the Greek word is just tekton, yeah, which just, is where we get architect. I was going to say. It just, just means builder. That's right. Who knows? And so the reason we associate it with wood yeah. and carpentry is because in the 1600s when the Bible got translated into English, there had been an English painter who had painted a picture of Jesus and Joseph, Jesus learning the trade. Well, in, in England, you build everything with wood. Right. In the ancient Near East, wood is a luxury item that you don't build with. You build right. with stone yeah. and brick. I was going to say, yeah. And more so, masonry, really, if you think about it. It is more masonry. <laughs> so a biblically accurate translation would have been stonemason. Mm-hmm. Jesus and Joseph are stonemasons. Mm-hmm. But because mm-hmm. what a painter did in England in the 1600s, mm-hmm. we still think of Jesus as a carpenter. Right. Mm-hmm. So yeah. when we get to... The Catholic issue mm. of Mary, right? You talked about this in our conversation leading yeah. up to this. It's Mary full of grace mm-hmm. instead of highly favored. Jerome translated it into Latin as right. full of grace, right? And Which that's is really not the best translation of that Greek word. It's it is, I mean, grace is a part of it, but it's it's really receiving God's favor. That's really what the word means. And but you're right. So Jerome translates that into Latin. And Jerome spent most of his life, you know, there in Bethlehem. He, he 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 moves into a cave adjacent to where Jesus was born, at least our best estimate. And um, I mean, my goodness, Jerome was a was an incredible giant in the Christian story. But when he translates that into Latin, it's you know, Hail Mary, full of grace. Well, that takes on connotations later that she now becomes a dispenser of grace, and she is. A, a part of the responsibility of repository, rather, of grace for the church. Well, then next thing you know, you're appealing to her. Because she's full of grace. Full of that grace, that's right. And so, well, then that leads to some incredible teachings about Mary that are very humanistic in their perspective, if you think about it. So, for example, how do we how do we um, explain that Mary did not pass on a sin nature to Jesus? Well, if you're Catholic, you have to— Keep it consistency with right. Catholic teaching, right? And sin passes on through sex. That's right. So Mary cannot have been born by sex. That's right. So somehow Mary had to be immaculately conceived, protected from any sinful, tainted by any sin. So she's the Blessed Virgin Mary. And the next thing you know, well, then then that's how she was not going to pass on the nature of sin to her son. Of course, the. You know, you look the philosophy of that argument is well. What about Mary's mother? I mean, you can <laughs> you can carry that back as far as you want to, right? Uh, rather than just accept this one time incredible miracle that Mary, common woman, sinner like any other person, this the whole process of her having a child was completely superintended by the Holy Spirit in this very mysterious way, and God was in charge of protecting all that. That was God's role. And that's what God did without regard to Mary's sinful nature. You know, this was a this was something the Spirit of God accomplished. But again, if you have that in your mind, well, then that's how you get to that doctrine of immaculate conception. Well, then the next doctrine is, well, if you think that Mary could not have been tainted by sin, well, then obviously she was not going to be engaged in any sexual relations with her husband. 
So the perpetual virginity of Mary also becomes a doctrine that the church embraces, Roman Catholic Church. And then the whole idea of, well, what if, what if your body undergoes decay? That's actually the sign of the judgment of God. I mean, death comes from Genesis 3, and so well, you can't let the body, the, the original tabernacle of, of Christ, undergo decay. So then the whole idea of the bodily assumption of Mary. So you get to the 1850s or so, and all this is materialized. And, and again, you got the power of the papacy and the authority of the church. So the the whole doctrine of Mariology, it mushrooms from that original, in, a, in my opinion, kind of theologically astute grappling with Mary being the mother of Christ, mother of God, if you will. It mushrooms into this expansion of this doctrine. And so... And so. one of the things I think, because this sounds crazy to Baptist ears, <laughs> but one of the things I respect about the Roman Catholic Church is its internal logical consistency. Yeah, true. <laughs> no, that's true. <laughs> so I think if you're a Baptist and you're reading the Bible, you, you look at this and go, where does any of this come from? Mm-hmm. It doesn't make any sense mm-hmm. just on a purely biblical basis. Mm-hmm. But because of the way that Roman Catholic theology works, it has to maintain logical consistency mm-hmm. over time. Mm-hmm. And so if you add one thing, then you then have to logically link it back. Mm-hmm. And then anything that develops after that has to be logically linked. So the entire system perfectly logical. Absolutely. That doesn't mean I think it's biblical. Correct. I was going to say that's the challenge. The challenge is the authority of it, you know, and, and there are brilliant theologians. You know, actually, and, and I, I'm grateful for the era that we live in today because we've we've been able to now t- today in, in this era have conversations at, at theological levels that no longer have the stinger in them. You know, there's no, um, it's not like I'm going to be taken to the diet of worms and brought in before authorities <laughs> because of my views. So we can actually have this dialogue and debate. This very week, one of my best friends, or really good friends, uh, he leads the Baptist World Alliance. Uh, his name's Elijah Brown. He's with a team of Baptists, and they're at the Vatican this week, this very week, and they're meeting with a group of Roman Catholic scholars. And it's this, uh, I can't remember what year they're in, but it's a Baptist-Catholic dialogue about the things of faith. And so there they are in freedom with with um, friendly relationships. They're having dinner together. You know, they're, they're um, engaging in personal interactions with one another. And then they're having these meetings where they're putting these doctrines on the table and having conversations about how we view them and how we arrived to where we are and what are some things that we can agree on. And, um, well, that that gives me a lot of hope. I'm grateful that I live in the era I live in. But I can still espouse what I believe without denigrating, you know, what others believe. And I disagree with the whole philosophical concept that that the authority is in the church. And so it places the scripture underneath it. I believe the church's authority is derivative, you know, and it all goes back to Jesus the way I look at it. And I think the revelation of God revealed through his word brings that apostolic witness that oversees the church. And the mm-hmm. church then, spiritual authority, if you will, is derivative from God's revelation of himself fully in the word. So I would place the church underneath the authority of the scripture. And so then that, what that does is, well, that that complete that's a game changer because it just changes how you embrace some of these views if they're not rooted in scripture revealed by Christ well then um from my perspective i would say well then i don't believe that there's something we should espouse i can do that without denigrating a, a whole nother perspective if you will so yeah. which is what i think we should do but but what all that to say um 
we can embrace a very strong and respectful view of Mary without bleeding over <laughs> into the whole idea of Mariology. So, for example, one of the things I love about Mary is that uh, she and Joseph together is that example of, of humility and obedience. They took steps of faith without really knowing how this was going to play out. And and we get to read about it. We get to watch them in real time decide, okay, we're going to do this. And it was yeah. scandalous. Yeah. I mean, there sure. was a lot for them yeah, can you imagine? to lose yeah, in the this. risk. Yeah. Um, and I think what's interesting to me is just the way God orchestrated all this. Think about it. They they were able to go to Bethlehem. I say able. <laughs> but they left kind of the um, the cultural societal set, set, setting of their hometown and basically in freedom were able to go to Bethlehem where no one knew them, really. And I guess David, I mean, um, uh, Joseph had relatives there, I'm sure. But still, they were in a very different setting and were able to somewhat enjoy that, if you will, as a young couple of their anonymity there, you know. And uh, even though they were giving birth to the most famous <laughs> human being that will ever live. It's not much anonymous when <laughs> right. angels stand up <laughs> right. your birthing. But but it wasn't like they were they were in the glaring light of the Nazareth culture, you know. They were in a very different place. And I think there's the human side of that, you know. And, uh, and then as that journey unfolds, they continue to show us, um, Mary in particular, that she was obedient. And I think that's where where to me, we make that intersection as as followers of Jesus today, as I tried to allude to Sunday morning. What about those moments where you're where you're challenged to take this step, to to believe God for this, to answer God's call in your life, you know, to and, and it can be very small things. That's why I love that example of D.L. Moody's Sunday school teacher. You know, he's most of our people can relate to that. You know, here's a guy teaching teenage boys and he thinks they're not interested. And one of the reasons is their parents are making them go to church, and he and he's burdened about it. Thank well, you to our guys, middle school, <laughs> high school, Sunday yes, school. Yes, by the way, a shout out. Thank you. Yes, all of you who are teaching seventh, eighth, ninth grade boys. Thank you so much. Um, Doing the Lord's work. <laughs> but uh, but think about that. Here's here's a, a man who's just a committed layman in his church, and he's worried about the boys in his class. Well, we can all relate to that. And he gets this prompting. I think I'm going to go talk to him. Now, there's no way that he would have known this young man's going to become D.L. Moody and become one of the most influential Protestant preachers of his era. Um, but why should he have to know that? All he needed to know was what's God asking him to do and then what did he do with it? And so I think that's really where we can enter into this story. Um, you know, you think about what are the kinds of things the Lord is asking of you and how do you respond to them? You get those prompted. You know, you're reading the scripture and sometimes you get convicted about something, maybe to have a conversation. Um, I had a friend of mine call me the other day to tell me about something that, that we hadn't talked about in years, but he felt prompted. He felt led mm. to have a conversation with me. Well, I honor that. You know, I accept that as the prompting of the Spirit of God. When you get that, I would just encourage our people that are listening today, when you get those that, this, that sense of direction from, from God and His Spirit in you, obey and, and give God a chance to show you how He's going to use all of that. And so... I look back over my life, and there I think there have been times I've missed it. I think there have been times that maybe I'd felt a prompting. I thought, uh, I'm not sure I can do that. And I look back on it with regret, wondering what did I miss in that moment. Then other times I can look at th times where I, I just felt the prompting of God to do something, and I had no clue how, just how meaningful that one act was going to be. But when I obeyed God, God took it and used it, and it, it bore fruit in other people's lives. 
Um, well, that's that's the beauty of all of this, and it and it brings it down home to a level because I think you know you can read this story and go, my goodness, this is Mary and Joseph. <laughs> <laughs> and Gabriel. <laughs> this is more than just a Christmas pageant. <laughs> right. I mean, but actually it is. But at the same time, this is my life too. And and we're to live our lives just like they did. We're we're in our own Nazareth. Every one of us happens to be there right now. And so, okay, well, how is it that the Lord is leading you? And what conversations does he want you to have? And how does he, he want you to respond to things that he's gifted you to do? And then you choose to be obedient to him. And then that, that particular act of, of whether it's generosity or just act of grace or sometimes it's conviction. Well, you know, you do that and then give God a chance to work. And it's amazing what God can do. So that's where I want our people to – I want them to grapple with all of that right now. You know, mm-hmm. this is this is where you're living. Great. Be obedient to God, you know, and give God a chance to use you because you have no idea how, how God's going to use that in your life. You know, my Sunday school teacher when I was in college – um, he, um, he had been studying and praying and, and, um, and so my, my brother felt called to ministry. He went to New Orleans to go to seminary, uh, which is where one of our Southern Baptist seminaries is, which is fine. I went several times with him to New Orleans and, um, my pastors at my home church either had been to New Orleans or they'd been to Louisville, the Southern Seminary. And when, when I began to grapple with this, trying to decide, what is God calling me to do? And I felt like God was really calling me into some kind of ministry and I was going to step out of that. I was a, I was wanted to start medical school. There was a whole journey I was on in those days. Cindy in physical therapy school, she was applying there. and But we felt this call from God. Well, our Sunday school teacher, think about this. We were in college. He um, he comes up to me one day at church and he says, Dennis, I, I, I'm, you're really struggling with this call, aren't you? I said, I really am. I said, I'm just trying to. I've talked to my pastor about it. And, um, and he said, well, I'll tell you what, the Lord has just laid this on my heart. And here's what I want to do. Um, he said, I've planned my vacation um, in July, and uh, this was in the spring. And he said, um, I want to take you and Cindy to Fort Worth and just I'll pay for it. I'll make the arrangements. I want you to contact Southwestern Seminary yourself. He said, but I've already done it. I've already looked into it. I'm already making arrangements for us to go. And I want to drive you and Cindy because I just think you need to go to Southwestern. To which I said, I'd never even heard of Southwestern, Luke. I grew up in Alabama. You know, I, right. I, I guess I knew there was, you know, it's not like I was well-versed in Southern Baptist culture. I mean, I was in a Southern Baptist church. You know what I mean? It wasn't like I could tell you, well, here's where all the seminaries are. I didn't know any of that. My Sunday school teacher drove us to Fort Worth and set up a couple of appointments for us. And, uh, and we came here and visited this campus which I'm telling you, we would not have done on our own. I, I can just tell you that right now for a fact. <laughs> we wouldn't have. But we did it. He drove us. We walked on the campus. My very first meeting I had with, with one of the folks in admissions, I remember sitting in that office thinking, this is, this is where I'm going to go to school. You know, had no connection to it at all until that moment. And so I think now, I look at my life all these years later, all the connections the experiences I had, the shaping of my theological heritage, um, the the influences in my life, the friendships that I have forged, the missional calling that I think was at the heart of the seminary in those days. Look how that's affected me and how it's affected I don't know how many people, but it all happened because my Sunday school teacher followed a prompting in his heart to ask me to have a conversation with him one day about my future. Mm. So, Aren't we glad? Oh, my goodness. So, yeah, his name is Ronnie Patterson. Ronnie, 
Thank I know you. you're not listening today, but uh, um, but thank you, Ronnie. It just changed my life. And again, it was a simple act of faith and obedience. So, um, yeah, um, I, I think about those moments that we find ourselves in. We just never know how God's going to use those promptings. Because I could have very easily said to Ronnie, I'm not going 12 hours in July to Fort Worth, Texas, because I'm not going there. <laughs> you know, I don't know anybody there. <laughs> we don't go there. We've never had a pastor from there. That's not, that is not what I'm, but, but instead I sat there and looked at him. I thought, my goodness, you got, you're taking this much interest in me. And he was a spiritual mentor to me and Cindy. I'm like, oh, you know what? God may be in this. Okay. Hmm. Turns out. <laughs> I think, I think God was in it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah, I'm, I'm, I think about that. Um, and I obviously have thanked him, you know, but, um, but yeah, think about just how that one act. So for our people, just, just think about and reflect upon being obedient to the Lord. God, give God a chance and he'll take it and use it in the way that he chooses to. And even if it's not some big dramatic outcome, I just don't think that matters. It's, it's those little things. It's that everyday reliance on the Lord. It's that, it's just living, cultivating that relationship with him in humility, knowing that he knows better than what we know. And so, you know, you, you, you wake up every day and ask the Lord, okay, Lord, intersections, moments, I'm going to find myself in conversations today. Just guide me in those. It's just a simple prayer, you know. It's mm-hmm. not like you have to be Mother Teresa, you know. I mean, it's, Lord, today, I'm living my life today. Just guide me. And when I sense your prompting, as best I know how, I'm going to try to, I'm going to try to obey it. So. Well, I think... It would be good for all of us to follow Mary's example and Mm -hmm. obey, Mm -hmm. but then also when we do that, to treasure those things and ponder them Mm -hmm. and see what God has done. Mm -hmm. That's a good word, brother. That's a good end end note right there. I think that is. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thanks for listening, everyone. Uh, We will be back next week. listening to the Tell Me More podcast today. You can subscribe to this podcast on your app of choice, or you can visit us at fbca.org to find out more information about the podcast and our church. Thanks for listening.